back to the time of Moses. And I want to talk about a new beginning. Let's go to Exodus 12. And I'm going to read from verses 30 through 40. So Exodus 12, verses 30 through 40. Each week, one thing I would ask you to do is bring a Bible with you, bring a pad of paper, bring a pen. Yes, I know that, uh, that you can pull up the Bible on your iPhones and uh, your fancy phones and stuff like that. However, um, entertain your rabbi by actually bringing a Bible. I love the Bible. I love feeling its pages. And by having a pad of paper and a pen on um, Saturdays when I'm covering a lot of verses, you'll be able to write it down and study it later. This is very important. Because if we're going to develop into the congregation of God's power that He has called us to be, then we need to be people of His Word and of prayer. Being people of His Word requires that we study His Word. And I don't mean just read it. I mean actually study it, consider it, meditate upon it. Let us percolate around inside of it until finally we truly begin to understand and then apply it. Amen. So chapter 12, verses 30 through 40. And we read, Then Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. So he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up! Go out from my people, both you and B'nai Israel. Go, serve Adonai as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you said, and be gone. But bless me too. Now the Egyptians urged the people, sending them out of the land quickly, for they thought we will all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up and their clothes on their shoulders. So B'nai Israel acted according to the word of Moses. They asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. Adonai gave the people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians and let them have what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. Then B'nai Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot as well as children. Also a mixed multitude went up with them, along with the flocks, herds, and heavy livestock. They had baked matzah cakes from the dough that they brought out of Egypt. It had no hummus, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not delay, so they had not made provisions for themselves. Now the time that B'nai Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. I want to start with that last line, 430 years. 
the children of Israel were living in Egypt. All that they had known, any one of that generation, all that they had known was life in Egypt. I would dare say all that anyone knew of this generation that came out of Egypt was slavery. They were slaves to their Egyptian taskmasters. They had no freedom to do anything. They were told when to wake up in the morning. They were told what their jobs were going to do during the day. They suffered under cruel and hard bondage to their taskmasters. And that was the only life that they knew. Over time, such harsh conditions, such slavery, such lack of a freedom to make any decisions for yourself is going to change a people. It breaks them. It takes something essential away from their humanity. A human being turned into basically little more than a beast, a burden. Certainly we had something like this in our own nation at one point. Thank God we do not any longer. Slavery has not ended anywhere in the world, though. It still happens in countries around the world. Human trafficking, including right here in our own city of Wichita. And this was the cruel bondage, the hardness of life that the children of Israel knew. And then God said that He heard the voices of His people crying out to Him. And so God went and found someone who He chose to become His servant to do His will. To bring about a new beginning for His people Israel. Now this was not the man who would have chosen himself. No, quite the contrary. Moses fought against God over this. Moses said, God, there's no way I can do this. And the reason why I can't do this is because I stutter. I don't speak well. Surely you can find someone who's better than I am to do this. The Lord eventually listened to Moses a little bit. And he said, all right, Moses, you're still going. But I'll send your brother with you. He certainly doesn't have any problems with his mouth. So he'll do fine. And you'll do fine. And so they went to Egypt. And over the course of a period of time, God poured out ten plagues upon the Egyptians. Now I want you to consider this. I've said it before, but I want you to consider this again because so often we look at this as merely God punishing Egypt. Nothing could be further from the truth. God's desire is not to punish people, including the sinners. God's desire is to open the eyes of those who don't know Him that they can see Him, know Him, and turn from their ways which separate them from Him. You see, each of the plagues that was poured out on Egypt was a plague that was poured out on one of the gods of the Egyptians. Many gods. The Egyptians had so many gods they couldn't possibly see the one god. So he poured out a plague upon the river, the Nile River, which was their source of life. Not only provided for them meat and fish, but it also provided for them the water that they needed for their crops on either side of the river. Consider that along the Nile River, you had a thin strip of about 50 to 100 yards wide 
on either side of the river that was green and lush and verdant. And outside of that thin strip, it was all desert. Barren desert. And that's all it was. You get down towards the mouth of the river where it split into many mouths and those rich alluvial plains produce lush grasses for the cattle. Well, this is where Goshen was, where the children of Israel had been placed. And so they lived there for 430 years. Now, I want you to think about this because during those 430 years, half of it or more, they were slaves to the Egyptians. How many children had been born? How many generations grew up knowing nothing more than hard bondage? And now it's time to take them out. God has judged the gods of the Egyptians including judging the greatest God of all among the Egyptians, the Pharaoh himself. Yes, he saw himself as a God. His people saw him as a God. His people worshipped him as a God. Hence the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh's own firstborn, the one who would be the God of Egypt, dies. And at this point, the Egyptians are ready to let the people of Israel go. You read, they didn't have time to prepare, right? They were thrust out all of a sudden. Their bread didn't have time to rise. They didn't have time to pull everything together that they needed to. Indeed, they were going to need God to provide for them for that period of time. You know, it's common when a people begin on a new beginning that they feel like they're not fully ready for it. Did you know that? Change comes with difficulty. New beginnings, they may be exciting, but they are new beginnings. You don't know exactly what you're walking into. You may have some idea, but you don't know absolutely, do you? This is what the children of Israel were facing in this new beginning. It was an exciting time. Gee, we're going to be free from Egypt. Imagine someone who has lived in slavery for their entire life, in fact, for generations. What does freedom even mean? My wife and I lived for four years in the former Soviet Union as missionaries soon after the Iron Curtain fell and after the former Soviet Union fell apart and turned into the Confederation of Independent States. We lived in the city of Minsk in the nation of Belarus. And it was fascinating watching what was happening. I'll tell you, it was also sad because the people, they seemed rather arrested in their development. They had essentially been slaves to their own government. Cogs in the great will of state. The individual meant nothing, and in fact, individuality was something to be feared and stamped out by the government. People weren't allowed to have their own money. They were taxed at literally 90% of everything that they made, and more. They were given exactly what the government wanted to give them. And for that, they were told where to live. 
They were told what schools they would go to. They were told they were told what they would study. Of course, what they studied would determine what their career path was going to be. All of this was decided for them before they were even born. And it's the way that they had to live. It was a terrible thing because it crushed the very humanity that God has placed within each of us. And this is what was happening in Egypt. God was there not only to free the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage, but to free the Egyptian people from their reliance upon gods that aren't gods. Upon gods that could do nothing for them and in fact simply blinded them to the one true God. So Israel came out of Egypt and through a series of adventures and misadventures, they eventually made it into the land. About 38 years late, but they made it into the land. And they began to build a nation. So a new beginning. I want to go to another new beginning now, though. And I'm going to go back even further in the biblical text to the story of Noah. Now, I want you to think about this because this is really a new beginning. So turn to Genesis 6, 13 through 22. Genesis 6, 13 through 22. And then I'll read one more passage past that. Just a few words, though. <coughs> Genesis six thirteen through 22. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is coming before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. He's talking about humanity. So because of humanity, the whole earth is filled with violence. Behold, I'm about to bring ruin upon them along with the land. And so he instructs Noah, giving him this very strange instruction. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with compartments and smear pitch on it, both inside and out. Now this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Now, a cubit is about a foot and a half, so we're talking about an ark that's 450 feet long. One cubit, about a foot and a half, 300 cubits, 450 feet long. Its breadth, 50 cubits, so about 75 feet wide, and its height, 30 cubits, so about 45 feet high. It's pretty high, isn't it? Talk about a five-story building, essentially. You shall make a roof for the ark, and you shall finish it within a you shall finish it to within a cubit from the top. You shall put the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third stories. Now I am about to bring the flood, water upon the land, to destroy all flesh in which is the spirit of life from under the sky. Everything that is on the land will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. <clears throat> so you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Also of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of everything, 
male and female, into the ark to keep alive with you. Of the fine creatures according to their kind, of the livestock according to their kind, of all the crawling creatures of the ground according to their kind, two of everything will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself every kind of edible food and gather it to yourself. It will be food for you and for them. So Noah did according to all that God commanded him. He did so exactly. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood came, water upon the land. Wow. 600 years old. So Moses had lived on terra firma with his feet firmly planted on the earth. He was a grower. And um, among all the people on the earth, he was the one that God looked upon and said, here's a man that's after my own heart. I can work with him. I can work with his sons. I can work with their wives. They will hear me, and they will do according to what I tell them. And indeed, God was right. He chose wisely. So Noah, after 600 years of living on terra firma, dry ground, all of a sudden he's told that all this is going to disappear. Like that. It's going to be gone. So you need to build this ark. You need to build it according to the dimensions I tell you. You need to build it in the way that I tell you so that you'll be safe, so that it will actually be an ocean-going vessel. Because remember, the entire earth is going to be covered by the seas. Now you've seen the ocean in a storm, right? The wind is raging. Boats are pitching to and fro. The waves are rushing in upon the boat. If the boat isn't properly positioned, it can turn most boats over. That could have been a danger with the ark because there was no way to steer that vessel. However, simply by the way the ark was created, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, only 45 feet high. It's not very high for its great length, is it? There was no way this thing was going to be turned over. It would toss around a bit, but it would have been so big and so heavy that it would have been a a, a rather stable vessel nonetheless. And so here Noah is. He begins building this thing with his son. Can you imagine what their neighbors were telling them? Yeah, exactly. 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 Oh, that Noah, he's the crazy guy who follows this God guy, you know? Crazy. Yeah, yeah, and building a boat with no way to get it to the water. Wow. Not very wise. So his neighbors thought. He was a laughing stock, I would imagine. Became that way very quick. And I want you to remember who his neighbors were. This was a murderous cutthroat bunch. This is the reason God was doing what he was doing. 
because the human race would simply cease to exist pretty soon if something wasn't done to stop the bloodletting. There's a story that some of you may be familiar with. It's the story of Jim Elliott and the four other missionaries who were with him who died at the hands of the Aka Indians down in the, the uh, Ecuadorian Amazon region. They were murdered. Eventually, Jim Elliott's wife and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, went back to these Indians, the Stone Age tribe. And they finished the work that Elizabeth's husband, Rachel's brother, had begun, and that was to bring the good news of Yeshua to these people. You know what the people told them after they'd come to salvation, after they came to know them? They thanked them. And they thanked them because they said, if you had not come to us, we pretty soon would have ceased to exist as a people. We were slaughtering ourselves out of existence. And they were. This was a people that lived based on the grudge. They lived to get even with anyone who they thought had crossed them. And they were slaughtering themselves. If it had not been for these missionaries that came to them, the Alka Indian would have ceased to be a people on the face of the earth. As it is, they still exist. They're still here. And it's because the bloodletting ceased. This is what God was facing with humanity. If I don't stop the bloodletting, then there's not going to be any humanity. And so he chose Noah and Noah's sons to do a work for him. And they did. They built the ark. I want you to think about this though. 600 years. Noah has been living a life on terra firma knowing everything about what he's going to do day in and day out. And all of a sudden, God is asking him to prepare for a world where he is essentially the only game in town. I want you to put yourself back in his place and ask yourself, are you ready for a new beginning? Because this is what God was calling Noah to. A new beginning. One more place for a new beginning, shall we? And then I want to talk about remnant of Israel and our new beginning. Acts 1, 1 through 8. Acts 1, 1 through 8. This is the faithful Greek doctor, Luke who has become a follower of Yeshua, a follower of Jesus. He may have been a convert to Judaism, but there's no proof of that. He was certainly a God-fearer. You could call him a ger which would have been the word in Israel for one from the nations, who though he didn't become Jewish, he had joined himself to the nation of Israel. And he writes here, and he says, I wrote the first volume, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. The first volume being the book of Luke, you understand. Up to the day he was taken up, 
after he had given orders by the Ruach HaKodesh to the emissaries he had chosen. To show them he showed himself to be alive after his suffering through many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh not many days from now. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? I've always found his answer to them to be fascinating. He said, it is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his own control. But you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Once again, a new beginning. You think about the question that the disciples asked Yeshua. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Yeshua not only didn't answer it, he just kind of threw cold water all over it, didn't he? He said, look, it's not for you to know this. This is unimportant. Restoring the kingdom to Israel is unimportant. This was a newsflash to them. No, restoring the kingdom to Israel was not unimportant. However, it was unimportant to them. Because what was important for them is to do what God was telling them to do. You see, the kingdom will not be restored to Israel until the kingdom has been built across the world. And then it will be restored to Israel. We're coming very close to the day when there is a copy of Scripture, at least some of Scripture, in the language of every people group across the world. I don't just mean in the nations. I mean every people group. We're getting very close to that time. It's an amazing thing that is happening. It's estimated that the number of groups that are left is in the low thousands now. The low thousands that still need copies of Scripture in their language. And you've got Bible um, translation groups like Wycliffe and Tyndale who are out there doing this work on a daily basis. Literally, they're fulfilling hundreds of new languages every year now. It's an amazing thing that we're seeing in our day. I think the time is coming very soon when Yeshua is going to return. And so when Yeshua answered them, His answer wasn't so much to shoot them down, but it was to direct them where He wished them to go. This is what a new beginning is all about. You pray to God. You pray through. You hear from Him what it is that He wants for you. And then you go in that direction. You launch out anew in the direction that He's sending you to find His blessing and to accomplish His will that the world around you is changed. Remember what God calls us, the people who are Jesus followers. 
Yeshua calls us his body. His bride, if you will. Uh, uh, and aside, but you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're told that God is achad. He's one. But a certain kind of one. A one that allows for a complexity. A plurality even. And so he calls himself achad. The second time that achad is mentioned in the Bible, what are the first time is to talk about day one. Day one. Day achad. There was evening and there was morning. Day one. The second time it's mentioned is talking about the man and the woman. And the man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become echad flesh. They shall become one flesh. So God is telling us something about his essential nature there. He is echad. He is one, and he calls us as his body to be one with him. We live in a world where there's a lot of darkness. You look at how the progressives in our nation literally worship the practice of abortion now. It's a terrible thing. I don't think I've seen anything like it where to kill one's child is considered a right. And yet this is exactly how it is in our nation. And in many places around the world, it's not just here. And there's many other issues. How violent our society has become. We look at what happened with the world in Noah's time. And God did what He did in that time because of the violence that was over all of the earth. A great darkness. A horrible darkness. Yeshua is the light and He has called us as His body to be the source of God's light here in this world. So those disciples, they had their new beginning. This is what you're going to focus on. You're not going to focus on the kingdom being restored to Israel this time. Rather, what you're going to focus on is taking my word to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth and making disciples. Well, folks, this is His call upon us today. Our new beginning here at Remnant of Israel. In 1 Corinthians 10, 1-4, we read from the Apostle Paul, Rob Shaul, for I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They all were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock that followed him, that followed them, and the rock was Messiah. Now these things happened as examples for us. You see, we have our examples from Noah. We have our example from Moses. We have many other examples. That of Abraham, that of Isaac, that of Jacob, that of Joseph, that of uh, Joshua. The various kings of Israel, the various prophets of Israel. 
All these examples were for us to learn from. Every one of them had their new beginnings that God had called them to, just like He's calling us to this new beginning now. And every one of you is invited to take part in this new beginning. Because you see, if we're truly going to reach our city, it's going to require that all of us become the ministers that God has called us to be. Hence the reason for the poor houses. Hence the reason for the once a month outreaches when we cancel all other programs that we're doing on one Saturday a month and we're going to go out on the streets and we're going to bless our city of Wichita in some way or another. Once again, if anyone is interested in learning what it would mean to be a poor house leader, P-O-U-R, pouring out. As God pours into you, you are called to pour out to others, thus taking part, your part, in the great commission that He has called you to. I want you to call your attention to three things. First of all, remnant is on a journey. And this journey is just beginning. We're not at an end place. We're not even in the middle. We perhaps are at past the beginning of the end that we had before, but we are on a new beginning now. Secondly, let's remember that Remnant has been called to God to undertake this journey with Him, through Him, and by His power. He told them, to wait in Jerusalem until He poured out His Spirit upon them so that they would have power to do the work that He called them to do. And wow, what power did they wield? It's amazing. At the preaching of the Word, signs and wonders happening on every hand. And it wasn't just that there were signs and wonders, but there was a new boldness, a new courage that was in them. You see, they had seen the risen Lord. No longer did death hold any fear for them. And so they could preach the Word and minister the Word boldly to all that God would send their way. And they did. And thousands were being added to them every day. We read of 3,000 in one day, and by the next day it had grown to 5,000 men, not speaking of women and children. Now that's power. With Him, through Him, by Him. Number three, remnant is not complete for this journey yet. Do you realize that? We're not complete. We're not complete for this journey. Look how many empty seats there are around you. We're not complete. We have not reached our city of Wichita. If as our sister spoke, there's going to be 63 poor houses here. We've got a long ways to go only having three, don't we? But this too shall change. And it should. If you want to be a part of it, please do speak with me after the service. 
I want to ask you a question. Who among you here today, among your friends, among your family, or even people that we don't yet know are called to undertake this journey with us? I would dare say the number is considerable. God is building him for himself a people right here in the heart of Wichita in order to change the course of our entire nation. Matthew 28, 17 through 20. And I'll be closing on this particular passage. Matthew 28, 17 through 20. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some wavered. I want to say more about that word wavered later. And Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are Yeshua's marching orders for his people for all time. They were his initial marching orders for the first disciples. But you consider what he called them to do. To go and take this message to all of the world and to make disciples. Now what do you think those disciples are supposed to do but the very same thing that the first disciples were supposed to do? Indeed, it's what all of Yeshua's disciples for all time are supposed to do. His marching order to them. I spent 32 years in the military. One thing you learn pretty quick in the military is when your general tells you to go do something, you go and do it. If he goes and tells you to take that hill, Lieutenant Pallage, go to the top of that hill, you take it and you hold it until I relieve you, then you go up to the top of that hill with your platoon or your company or whatever group of men you're leading, you take that hill and you hold it until your general sends other forces up to relieve you. And you don't leave that hill until you're relieved in place or until you're told to advance still further. But you don't leave that hill. Our Lord is very much as a general to us. If you look at it properly, He has power to tell us what He wants us to do and command us, and we are to do that thing that He commands us to do, whatever it may be. Anything less than that, we're not really followers of Yeshua, are we? I want you to remember something else that he called them to make disciples, not believers. James says the demons believe and they tremble. We find out in the book of Acts that the demons believed in Yeshua and they feared him and they feared his name, especially when his name was in the mouth of one who was truly one of His servants. God has taken us and turned us into an army. 
His army. He's turning us into that army even today to take His good news to lost humanity that they could be set free from the darkness of the demonic forces that have such sway in our world today to include in our city. Now I want to say just a quick word about that portion where we're told that they worship but some waver. Some have interpreted to mean that to mean that some of them had a lack of faith. That they doubted that Yeshua was really the Lord. This is not what it's talking about. For one thing, it's not the word. The word there is distazo. Distazo. It's a Greek word that means properly to duplicate. To have two of a thing. To duplicate. In opinion, it means to doubt or to waver. So imagine this, to be double-minded in some way. This is what distazo talks about. It means to stand in two ways implying uncertainty as to which way to take. You get that? Uncertainty as to which way to take. Now I can imagine that there's some in this audience today who may be feeling a little bit of distazo. That's fine. Not a problem. It's only used in one other time in Scripture. And that's in Matthew 14.31. Matthew 14 is where we have the story of Yeshua walking on the water. And His disciples notice Him. And Peter cries out to Him says, Lord, if that's You, bid me to walk to You. And what does Yeshua say? He says, come. And so Peter begins to walk on the water. You see, a lot of people focus on the fact that he sank. What I focus on is the fact, wow, this dude walked on water. But then he took his eyes off Yeshua for just a moment. And he wavered. Because he saw the wind and the waves and he thought what I'm doing is impossible. And he sank. Now this is a very human condition. And it happens on the part of good people who wish to follow the Lord. But they know their background. They know their sins. They know the things they've done. They think they know their weaknesses, though oftentimes they make their weaknesses bigger than they really are. And they believe, I cannot do this that God is calling me to do. This was the wavering on their part. This was the wavering. Their wavering was not because of lack of faith in Yeshua. It was lack of faith in themselves to be able to do this. And so to close today, I want to challenge you that each and every one of you are called in this direction. If you're called to walk with us here, you are called in this direction. Each and every one of you have got it within you by the power of the Holy Spirit to walk with Him and do what He has called you to do. You do. Every one of you has been not only forgiven by God, but your consciences have been cleansed from acts that lead to death. 
and you have been empowered by Him for the work that He is calling you to do. On behalf of the elders of Remnant of Israel and on behalf of the Shamashim, the deacons of Remnant of Israel, I invite everyone who is here today to come and take part in this movement to change our city and to see the Lord truly become the Lord of Wichita and of Kansas. Amen? Amen. Amen.